Thanks for joining us this week for the Church at Sturkey Hills podcast. Be sure to visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Well, good morning. I'm so glad that you're here today. And that is the message of James. Faith works. It is faith that works. And James is going to help us unpack that and learn how we can apply the truth of God's Word uh, to live more fully, more freely, more victoriously for the Lord Jesus. Now, in 1988, there was uh, a manufacturer of sports shoes that controlled about 18% of the domestic market, which equated to about $877 million in revenue. And because of some changes, in part the tremendous success of the front man, but also some marketing slogans and some things, it radically changed over the next 10 years, and it would occupy 43% of the market for uh, sport shoes, which would equate to about $9.2 billion dollars. Now today, 20 years later, post that, that market is about $44 billion, and you probably know who I'm talking about. The name of the manufacturer would be Nike, the front man would be Michael Jordan, and the slogan would be, just do it. Now, what's crazy about that, the way they derived this slogan and came up with uh, what they were going to use as their slogan was, was kind of a funny story. But it seemed revolutionary at the time. Like, this is a new idea. Just do it. Stop talking about being in the game. Get these shoes on and just do it. And that's kind of the thing. But they thought it was new. In fact, it's not new at all. You see, 2,000 years before they came up with this slogan, just do it, James says the same thing. James tells you, as a follower of Jesus, it's time to get off the bench and get in the game for Jesus. Team Jesus needs you as a player and not as a spectator. And so it's applicable, this imperative is that James gives today just like it was then. Now, why would he write this 2,000 years ago? It's the early church for crying out loud. The resurrected Jesus has ascended back to heaven. The Holy Spirit comes, the church is launched. I mean, they should be flying high and doing things well, right? Sure they were just like we do, because they're human beings just like we are. They meet the resurrected Jesus. Jesus gives them new birth. He saves their soul, and they're on their Christian journey. But just like us, they get distracted. And just like us, sometimes we pull ourselves out of the game, and we are content being a sideline coach, an analyst, a statistical guru, an auditor, a spectator about what's going on out there in the Christian world. And meanwhile, we never leave the bleachers. We never get off the bench. I want you to know every single person that's in here, God does not want you to be a bench warmer. God is really tired of spectator Christianity. Every single person who meets the living Lord Jesus has a place in his kingdom economy, a place to serve, a place to work, a place to do, not for your salvation, but because of your salvation. And so James is going to help us get that today. And so I believe as this has never been more critical, I believe than it is right now. I truly believe that we're on the the, the threshold of the return of Jesus Christ for his church. Now, don't get me wrong. Paul thought that. Peter thought that. Your pastor thinks that. You should think that. Scripture tells us we should anxiously await and look for the second coming of Jesus Christ. 
And I believe as you watch uh, world events unfold, I, I, I truly believe it's beginning to lay the groundwork for the return of Christ. So never more important than today in your life, in my life, and in the life of the church for us to get off the bench, get in the game, and simply just do it. So today we're going to learn how we can know what to do and what it means to just do it. How does that apply in our life? Now, we're still in the book of James, and I know you're surprised we're in chapter 1. We've been here for a few weeks, and I think we'll finish up James chapter 1 today. So I want you to open up your Bibles or your device to James chapter 1, which is where we're going to be looking. Now, as you find that, let me just remind you what James has done. James has introduced us and brought us in, registered you as a believer, into Christianity boot camp. A place where we can learn that faith is supposed to be alive in us. It's not a religion. It's a relationship with God through Jesus that compels us to live differently than the rest of the world. Now, he lays the groundwork. James says, listen, for you to get this, you've got to be enslaved to God and the Lord Jesus Christ. James says, I missed it. This is important. I missed it for my whole growing up experience life with Jesus as my brother. I knew the guy was special. I knew he was phenomenal, but I didn't receive him as Messiah until I met him personally after the resurrection. Boy, did I blow it, but I'm not doing it anymore. I am now enslaved to my half-brother Jesus. He's my new commander-in-chief. James says, if you want to live a victorious Christian life, your life must be under new management, and Jesus is your new authority for living. He goes on and he says, he says it's not going to be easy let me just go ahead and tell you, the, 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 the television evangelist who tells you Christianity, you give your life to Jesus and man, you just got healthy and rich overnight and your middle schoolers are just perfect. That's a lie. To try it and test it. It ain't happening. And James says that it's not going to be easy for you to be a champion for Jesus, for you to be in his army, doing warfare on his behalf, uh, enlarging his kingdom. It's not going to be easy. It's going to come with troubles. It's going to be, uh, come with trials and problems. He says, but you can have joy in it because God will use all of that stuff, the stuff that we don't like, to work us, to mold us, to manipulate us into shape, to make us perfect and complete. And he says, and as that happens, as you get closer to conforming to the image of Christ, which is God's goal for all of our lives, you better believe there's an enemy who hates your guts. And the closer you get to Jesus, the more his horns come out, okay? And he's going to put an attack on you through what we know as temptation. And he's going to use your own natural desires. Not God's not tempting you. You're tempted because you have God-given desires. And he begins to morph them or distort them or inject false information into your natural desires to cause you uh, temptation and to cause you to sin. And so now... What does that mean for us today? He's going to say, here's the deal. How can you move forward tomorrow? How can you move forward today in that kind of atmosphere, a, a, a new management, a trials and troubles and temptations in our life? How can you do well? How can you win in the Christian journey? How can you not be defeated as a Christian? How can your spine grow and get stronger to where you can live firm-footed in a world that's going to hell and say, not me, I'm living for King Jesus. How do you do that? He says, there is something that must be part of your life or you are destined to failure. What is that thing? It's the word of God. <clears throat> Without the word of God as your manual for living, 
Bible, you've heard it, basic instructions before leaving earth. Without that in your life, you will not be successful. And so that's what we're going to see today because it's critical, just like it was 2,000 years ago. It's critical that we move beyond a head knowledge and move to a place where it affects our hands, our feet, and our actions. Chuck Swindoll, in his commentary, he's a great preacher in Texas. He was the president of Dallas Theological for a while, and he's old and seasoned and hadn't messed everything up. And this is what he says about the Word of God being lived out in the Christian community. He says, a debilitation disease is crippling the body of Christ, a syndrome so common that it seems to affect every believer with either a mild or an acute case. The insidious condition neutralizes the church's effectiveness and paralyzes production. The problem, a rupture between confession and deed, theology and action, hearing and doing. A.W. Tozer weighs in about the same thing, and he says it appears that too many Christians want to enjoy the thrill of feeling right with God, but they are not willing to endure the inconvenience of actually being right with God. Boy, is that well said or what? A whole lot of people like the thrill of feeling right with God, but we don't want to do what it takes to actually be right with God. Now, don't get me wrong. Our actions don't determine our salvation. Our actions are a reflection of our salvation, which we're going to see in just a minute. So it's time that we just do it. Now, when we read this passage, if you're reading the book of James and you get to this, these verses in chapter one, it, you may be a little confused. You're like, what's he talking about? What's he talking about? Because it's almost like James is a little herky-jerky, like he's jumping around topic to topic. What's this mean? It's not that way at all. You see, when, when interpreters of the Bible took the Greek manuscripts and began to translate them into English, we put them in forms like paragraphs and sentences, and sometimes it's helpful, and sometimes it's not as helpful. And so in your Bible, there's probably a break in, in, in your manuscript, how you read it, between verse 18 and the following verses. James never leaves the subject matter of the Word of God. And we need to know that before we can understand this. You see, in verse 18, where we left off last week, when we talked about how can you be victorious over temptations that come within from your, in, your uh, natural desires, how can you find victory? Because you've got to be mindful of verse 18. Are you ready? Here it is. By his, God's sovereign plan, he, God, gave us new birth through the message of the truth, that we would be a kind of first fruits of all he created. He says, listen, here's how you can be victorious. The God who whispered everything into existence has a plan and he picked you to be part of it. That's just cool. And because of that, if God the creator over all of creation picked you to be in his agenda, then there's where we can find our sustenance, our victory and our hope. Now, James is gonna say, based on what we just said, the word of God, the message of truth gives you new birth. That's sanctification, excuse me, that's salvation. Now, I'm gonna give you a, a churchy word because we need to get this. That's what we call justification. When you're lost, living for yourself, separated from God, and the Holy Spirit pricks your heart and invites you into God's family, and you receive Jesus into your life to save you, when, when he comes into your life, God looks at you 
just as if you've never sinned. Justification, okay? You're right with God. Now, James doesn't start, he says, that's awesome, but it doesn't stop there. Your salvation is, is all tenses, past, present, and future. You were saved, you're being saved, you will be saved. And so now James is gonna say, you are saved. That's when you got new birth, you were born again, you were justified. But now he's gonna say, don't let it stop there. Don't live in that one truth, one victory. Now let his saving power of his word begin to do a work in your life so that what happened on the inside begins to show up on the outside. Justification says, when God looks at me, I am right with him. Sanctification says, when the world sees me, they know I'm right with God. Sanctification is when we live on the outside, what's happened on the inside. Sometimes the reason we don't live right on the outside is because we've never been right, made right on the inside. So why would we expect to live right on the outside if we're broken on the inside. But James is speaking to brothers and sisters. James is speaking to Christians, Jesus followers. And he's saying, if he made you right on the inside, it's time that you act right on the outside. And so James is gonna say, the word of God is the key to getting from point A to point B, to go from justification to sanctification, to moving from being right with God to demonstrating a rightness to the world. And like James is doing, he do, like James does it, he's not going to casually say, oh, by the way, by the way, the, the word of God, that's gonna be important to you too. He doesn't do it that way. He like punches you like right in the chest. It's like, bam, this is, you gotta do this. You can't not do this. If you do, you are a failure. I mean, loser. You, you got to do it. That's the way James does it. Why? Because James missed the boat. Now he get, gets who Jesus is, and now he wants you to get it. And so the first thing I want you to see today in James's systematic way to get the Word of God in us so the Word of God begins to ooze out of us, he begins with what I'll call placement. On the back of your worship guide, the point number one is placement. Listen to what he says in verse 19. Remember, he just said, you got new birth from the message of truth, from the word of God, the Logos. Now he says in verse 19, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, Christians, believers. He says, let every person be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Now, what's that even talking about? It's talking about you and me in our relationship with the word of God. He, he hasn't left the subject. You'll see in just a second. This information is sandwiched in between two passages referencing the word of God. He's talking about a Christian and their relationship with the truth of God's word. And this is what he says. He says, understand this. In the Greek, it's oida. He says, don't miss this. You already should know this. This is foundational. This is Christianity 101. You cannot move to 102 or 201 or any other level, any other course in your journey until you get this foundational truth. He says, know this. Well, what is it we're supposed to know? We're supposed to know that how, we're, how we should respond to the word of God. How is that? He says, I want you to be quick to listen. 
I want you to be quick to listen to what this book says to your life, all right? Now, why does he say that? (laughs) Because the people he's talking to ain't too quick to listen. They weren't quick to listen in the early first century church, and you're not quick to listen either. How do I know? Because I'm the preacher, you don't listen to what I say. How do I know? Because for a long time, I sat out there listening to the preacher, and I didn't listen to what he said either. How do I know? Sometimes I don't even listen to myself. Kendra, you be quiet. We are not quick to listen. What does it mean, quick to listen? The word quick in the Greek is tachos. We get our word tachometer. It's the measurement of speed. James says, if you want to live an invigorating, victorious Christian life, you better be rapid, speedy, in a hurry to get into the word of God and to let the word of God get into you. He says, we're supposed to be quick to listen. Now, the word listen is is not just mean hear it. It means listen to embrace it, to obey it, to hearken to it, to accept it, and to desire to understand what it's talking about. It's why you should hopefully be excited to come to church every week. It's why you should hopefully be excited to get in the Word and study it for yourself. It's why you should hopefully be excited to be in a group where you're getting into God's Word and learning how to live it out. Because we are commanded. It's an imperative. we got to know this. We've got to be quick to listen. We need to dive in and let it dive into us. And he's not talking about some generic listening. It doesn't mean you need to listen well to your friend's social media posts because that'll help you. You need to listen more intently to your spouse. (laughs) Not a bad idea, but that ain't what he's talking about. You need to listen better to your children or children. You need to listen better to your parents or you need to listen better to your boss or you need to listen better with your peers. It's not talking about that. It's talking about listening to the word of God intently and quickly with an anxious attitude. Now, he goes on, he says, but you need to be slow to speak. You see, what sometimes people do is they hear the word of God and before it even takes a root in their heart, before it even begins to germinate and change something on the outside, we got some words. I'm gonna have a conversation with the word of God. One day when I get to heaven, boy, do I have some questions for God. That's the stupidest thing you can ever say. When you stand before the true and living God, the resurrected Jesus Christ, you'll be on your face. Ain't no time for questions, okay? He probably got some questions for you, okay? Maybe a time for answering, but no time for questions. And it's the same with the word of God. He's not saying don't question it to understand it better. He's saying when the word of God speaks to your heart, speaks to your soul, calls you to a different place, tells you something about yourself you really don't need to know. There's no time for talking. There's time for listening and keeping our mouth closed. And so we're to, we're to uh, be slow to speak and quick to listen. It's kind of like when you have children and they're about two or maybe one and you say, hey, you can't do that. Why? Because. Because why? Because, because. Because, because what? Because I'm the dad and you're not. Okay? And they begin to talk. They're talking back. Right? They're hearing the information from an authority and they don't like that. So they, they got a conversation. They're two. And they want to have a dialogue with the authority. And that's it's silly, isn't it? And then they get into middle school 
and it's just amped up, you know, and you want to send them off to like boarding school or an orphanage or a foreign country on mission trip or something, okay? That's what it looks like. When we think we have the audacity to, to hear God's word spoken to us accurately and then to have a conversation, well, God, I don't think you, I think your word is good, but I don't think it's infallible. I don't think it's inerrant. I don't think it's in eternal or timeless. I, I think it needs to modify with the cultural trends. <laughs> You're a fool. God's word doesn't do that. God's word testifies of itself. It never changes. It's true yesterday, today, and forever. And then it says this. When you begin to be quick to listen and slow to speak, <laughs> be slow to anger. D don't get mad. Don't get mad. James takes it to this next level. He, he, he tells us your appropriate response is to receive it with meekness. Just hear it and take it like a man or a woman, whichever the case may be. Instead, what do we do? Well, we leave the church and, well, that preacher, he doesn't need to be so political. He doesn't need to say political things. And the preacher, he needs to leave everybody's sex life alone. And that preacher, he needs to leave homosexuality and gender crisis. He needs to leave that alone. There's no place for that in the church. And that preacher, he's always talking about money and giving and all that. He needs to cut that out. And, and that preacher, he's always challenging us, saying that we're not a good Christian if we don't tell somebody about our faith. He don't need to be doing that. And, and that preacher, he needs to, to be telling us that we need to be serving someplace in the church. And he just needs to leave us alone. Let me warm my seat and go home or to Aubrey's. That's what he needs to do. And all of a sudden, you're angry. You're angry at the messenger. Don't shoot the messenger. Take it up with God. If the messenger is preaching and speaking and teaching this book, the word of the living God, the breath, the theonoustos of God, button it up, open them up, and be happy. Okay? That's what James says. So you get, listen, we can just all get mad at James. I don't even like James. Okay? Well, take it up with James when you get to heaven if you go, okay? I didn't write it. Now, now he goes on, as you read the book of James, you'll find out in James 4, 6, what, what do we look like when we, when we don't want to hear God's word, we're listening, but we're not paying attention. I, I don't believe that's applicable. That's not the right uh, teaching of that scripture, or, or I'm not going to do it. I'm going to talk back with God. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble. This book right here was breathed by the Holy Spirit of God to men who were full of the Spirit of God, who gave us this to change the people of God, to change us, not just to enlighten us, not just to help us when we're in trouble or when we're wanting to show somebody else how they're doing wrong. <laughs> you know we like that side of the sword when it's cutting somebody else. Scripture says of itself in Hebrews 4.12, it is a double-edged sword. Scripture testifies of itself in Psalm 119, it is a lamp and a light to our path and to our feet. Jeremiah 23.29, about the word of God, it says it is a fire and a hammer. 
Ephesians 5, 25 said it is water that washes us clean. 1 Peter 2 says the word of God is milk to an infant, generating growth and maturity. 2 Timothy 3.16 says every scripture is inspired by God. It's given the breath of God, useful for teaching and reproof and correction for training and righteousness. This book is given to change our life. This book is not given to go into our gray matter and swirl around for some good and holy and righteous conversations to impress people. It's given to go into our gray matter to penetrate downward into our heart and extend itself through our hands and our actions. And if it's not doing that, the Word of God has no place in your life. It's not accomplishing everything it has for your life. So it's time that we place ourselves under the Word of God one by one, and it's critically important. The second thing I want you to see, if we're going to place ourselves under the Word of God, we need to prepare ourselves to receive the Word of God. It does no good if we, if we come to church and that's our placement. I'm sitting here. I'm being placed. And if I am sit here for a whole hour and listen to the sermon without yawning to where the preacher can see me or slumping over on my spouse's shoulder in a coma, then it's going to be a successful day. And we'll leave and we'll say, well, it wasn't that good. We saw our friends. The music was great. The message was okay. Now, where are we going to eat? You know what I'm saying? Where are we going to eat? That's really what matters on Sunday. And so it's not that. It's we, we place ourselves under the Word of God, and we have prepared ourselves to hear the Word of God. Now listen to what James says in verse 21. He says, now we're talking about the Word of God. He says, put away all filth and evil excess and humbly welcome the message implanted within you, which is able to save your soul. Now, this is really cool stuff, okay? First of all, it's kind of na- uh, nasty, but then it gets cool in the end. Okay, what does he mean? He says, well, to put away, it's uh, apotithomai. It means like you've got an old, nasty jacket on. I mean, it's just got the stains of the world on it. Every place you've been, it smells, it reeks, it's got it. He says, listen, if you want to prepare yourself for the Word of God, you got to get rid of the junk. The Word of God will not penetrate where pollutants already uh, have taken control. You've got to remove the filth from your life. Now, the word filth is a funny word, uh, riparia. It means immorality, pollution, everything unclean. In the Greek, you know what the reference is? You ready? This is a delightful subject, earwax. Anybody in here got any earwax? (laughs) Liars, all y'all got earwax, right? But the problem is sometimes you get so much earwax in your ears, you can't hear nothing. And James, that's what James likens it to. He says the problem in the average Christian life is there's so much filth and garbage and pollution in the receptors of our life, we can no longer hear the word of God well. And he says, you got to get the filth out of your life. Is it any wonder sometimes we pick up our Bible? I've heard this way too many times. I've said this myself. Well, I read the Bible. I just don't really get anything out of it. The problem is not the Word of God, okay? I'm not going to tell you where the problem's at. It's you, okay? The problem's not the Word of God. The problem is often there's so much filth in our life, we wouldn't hear the truth if it had a bell and a flashing light on it. We get up in the morning and uh, we check our phone for see if we've got any valuable text messages overnight. And then while we're on the phone, let's just scroll on down there and hit our social media 
make sure we didn't miss something important overnight, like all of our friends who are doing wonderful, great things with their perfect children while we were asleep, resting from dealing with our own imperfect children, okay, and wondering how we're going to pay for dinner today. And meanwhile, they're, you know, on vacation in some exotic land, right? And so we, we, that, that begins to come in. And so we go, okay, I'm going to survive. We take a shower and we jump in the car and we put it on our radio, our favorite radio station. Maybe you're listening to country. That way you can be encouraged that your wife is leaving this afternoon, taking the dog. You're going to lose your job and wreck your truck. So what are you going to do? Go drink a 12-pack and it'll make everything perfect. <laughs> you say, why are you picking on country music? Because I ain't done yet. Maybe that's not your flavor. Maybe your flavor is rap. You don't know what you're hearing. They don't know what they're saying. I was the announcer slash DJ for Anderson County High School's basketball team for years. And I had a deal that the players could bring me a CD and I would put it in and they got to pick it. I was the youth pastor. Okay. I told them, don't, 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 I'm trusting you. Don't give me no dirty stuff. They bring me this CD. Nothing. I got nothing. I got nothing. I have no idea what they're saying. I'm trusting them. A woman in her 50s came to me and said, do you know what they're saying? Mm-mm. Do you? Mm-hmm. What are they singing? What are they singing? They're singing about, sorry, PG-13. They're singing about oral sex. They are, are you sure? She said, yes, I'm sure. I was so mad. In a fit of rage, I hit the eject button. Don't ever do this. Don't ever break a CD with your bare hands. It sends shrapnel everywhere. It exploded. I'm bleeding in the face. Could have lost an eye. Why? Because I'm playing something. I don't even know what they're saying. Well, maybe you choose rock and roll. Maybe you go back to the 70s. If I'm going to pick one, that's probably where I'm going to 70s because that was some cool stuff. It's junk. It's junk. And then we have conversations all day with people listening to their garbage, chiming into their garbage, watching the news, listening to the lies. And then we wonder, with all of this filth in our receptors, why in the world do we think we would hear and understand and be able to uh, legitimately apply the Word of God in our life? Because it's saturated in filth. And so it's time that we clean house. Now, he says this, once you clean house, begin to get the filth out. Go before God's word in humility. Now, your translation may say in meekness. Let me explain something. Jesus was meek. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is power under control. A horse that weighs 2,000 pounds is tons of a ton of power. But when you put a bit in its mouth and a bridle on its head, it's power under control and then he says this we're supposed to welcome it open arms we should go before God's word like this okay God I don't know what you're going to tell me today I hope it's good and happy truth but if it's not I welcome it anyway I'm going to take what you have for me and let it become implanted he says to be implanted in our life to be engrafted you see to, for the word to be implanted in our life, it's when our, our life guides sermon notes on the back, our mental notes in our mind and in our conversation, our paragraphs in our journal of notes, 
when it moves from our phone, our iPad, our life guide, or in our mind, when it moves from that into application in our life, it's engrafted. Before, it's just information. James says, information does you no good unless there's application. Take, welcome the word of God. Why? Because it's the word of God. (laughs) That should be enough. Verse 18, because it was that word of God that radically moved you from a hell-bound destiny into a destiny to be in the glory of heaven with God, the Holy Spirit, and his son. That's good stuff. And if it's good enough to save you, it ought to be good enough to change you. And so he's saying, do this. Now, he, now he's going to nail down the value of the word of God. Because sometimes, sometimes we play it down. We marginalize it, right? It's, it's good. It's helpful. If I'm sad, I can read the 23rd Psalm. It'll encourage me. If I want to tell somebody about Jesus, I can whip out some of my memories like John 3, 16. That's all I got. I, I, I got some. It's going to be helpful, right? It's more than that. Listen to what he says about it. He says, it's able to save your soul. Now listen to these words in Greek, because I just think this is really cool. It's jazzy. It's the dynamo sozo psyche. (laughs) Yeah, doesn't that sound better than save your soul? Dynamo sozo psyche. What does that even mean? Dynamo, we're familiar with that word in the English. We translate that word into English language. It would be a word like dynamic, or I like this one, dynamite. He says, intrinsically, inside the word of God, not your manipulation or massaging of it, inside the word of God is power enough to save your soul. Well, now, wait a minute, Joe. In verse 18, he already talked about being saved. He already talked about new birth. That's why he changes the word to psyche. He says, It is intrinsically from the inside out, jam-packed with enough dynamite power to radically change and radically impact your whole life. You remember I talked about justification? Now he's saying sanctification. He says, just as it was powerful enough to radically change your condition before God and make you right before God, It's powerful enough when applied to change you on the outside so the world will know you've been changed on the inside. I'm telling you, this is where the key to life hangs out. I remember when Kendra and I were young, we moved to Chattanooga. And we were both from small churches. We were both believers. She was a good one. And uh, I, I was not. I was a believer. just wasn't a very good one. I was a Christian, just defeated one, okay? And, and she helped me a lot. And, uh, and we moved to Chattanooga, and God, in his sovereignty, put us in this big church, really big. And the first time we went over there, this preacher came. He's a big old dude, you know, and he was passionate. He was full of Jesus, man. He was unashamed, unapologetic about how much he loved Jesus and how much Jesus had changed his life and how the word of God was just where, the, where life hangs out. And I never really heard it that way. And man, like James, he just kind of punched me in the throat with it. I mean, I didn't really go there to hear that, but that's what I got when I got there. I mean, he just like, of all those thousands of people in there, it's like he looked at me and he said, you need to hear that. Okay. 
And every week we'd leave and we'd go back on Sunday night. He'd punch me in the face again. We'd go on Wednesday night. He just, you know, just doing that. And, and, And all of a sudden, in God's timing, is when I had my little red Gideon Testament. And I picked it up one day and started reading it. And it was alive. It'd never been alive before. But now all of a sudden, it's jumping on me. I mean, I'd get home, you know what I read today? Have you ever read the lineage of Jesus? I highlighted the whole thing. I didn't know it was so cool. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what it was. But I know it's good. And Kendra would testify. My life changed, didn't it, babe? It still needs a lot of work. Don't, I, I know that. But it started changing. That's what James is saying. The word of God is given to do that. To be alive. To be God's conversation to you, in you, and through you. And so we've got to prepare ourselves. In Matthew 13, Jesus is teaching a bunch of parables, really cool stuff. And he teaches this parable about the sower. And he says, listen, a sower went out to sow. And and, and Jesus is going to describe conditions, soil conditions that are not prepared well that are not conducive to growth and to fruit. He says, and so he sowed. Some seeds fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them. Unprepared heart, things steal the truth away. Verse five, he says, other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. They sprang up and quickly because the soil was not deep. And when the sun came up, they were scorched. And because they did not have sufficient root, they withered. The heart wasn't conditioned. The, the soil wasn't conditioned or prepared or cultivated. It wasn't ready. And so when it sprang up, it just withered. And then it says in verse 7, other seeds fell among the thorns and they grew up and choked them out. That filth that James is talking about, that jacket of filth that we're supposed to take out, all the garbage that we're feeding inside of our head that we're supposed to take out, they didn't take it out. And so the ground was polluted. It had all of these weeds that came in and just choked it out. But Jesus doesn't stop there. Jesus now is going to include you, potentially. Jesus is going to say, now you, can, you don't have to be soil one, two, and three. You, you can be this soil. Because he says, but, on the other hand, at the same time, other seeds fell on good soil. And when the word of God falls on good soil, look what happens. It says, and it produced grain, some a hundred times as much, some 60 and some 30. The one who has ears had better listen. I want you to know today, because James is telling us, if you are a brother and sister, if you are a Christian, if you've had a new birth, the word of God is given to you to change and rock your world. Not just some superficial head knowledge, but to get in you and get out of you and change you and those around you. <clears throat> Otherwise, we look like what Jeremiah 6 says, Sin- sinners are not interested in the way or the work or the will of God. Psalm 119, the wicked have no chance for deliverance because they don't seek the statutes. They're not interested. They're more interested in the filth that's in their head rather <clears throat> than the truth of the pure word of God. And so when we start living God's word out in our life, it changes our story. 
Now all of a sudden, we have fresh testimonies about what God's doing in our life. We have new celebrations about what God, a victories God is giving in our life. We have new stories of deliverances for us and for those people that we are impacting because the word of God is alive in us. Sometimes in our stories with other people, we listen to reruns. Have you ever shared a glorious rerun of what God did for you a long time ago? That's fine, but you need some fresh material. (laughs) There's a new season with new episodes that God is wanting to reveal in your life. And the word of God is how we get from that place to the new place in our journey, to the new chapter. And so we place ourselves, we prepare ourselves, and thirdly, we gotta practice the word of God. Listen now what he says in verse 22. He says, but be sure that you live it out. Be sure that you just do it. And don't merely listen. Don't be doers of the, uh, be listeners or hearers only, but be doers of the word. And if not, if you don't, if you just hear it and never do it, you simply deceive yourselves. You're not getting it. You're talking yourself into something that does not exist. You've got to hear it and you've got to do it. Now, he's going to make it real clear to understand what he's talking about. All right? He's going to give us a, an illustration. He says in verse 23, 4, now, if someone merely listens to the message but does not live it out, he is like someone who gazes at his own face in a mirror. For he gazes at himself and then goes out and immediately forgets what sort of person he was. But the one who peers into the perfect law of liberty and fixes his attention there and does not become a forgetful Listener, but one who lives it out, he will be blessed in what he does. If someone thinks he's religious yet does not bridle his tongue, he so deceives his heart and his religion is futile. Now, what does that even mean? (laughs) It means real time. In the Bible, authors sometimes, not always, but sometimes choose a gender male or female sometimes it's general or generic it can be both genders never a place for the confused then in this particular case James is referring to the male species why is he doing that he says he shouldn't he shouldn't be like the one who walks by gazes at the mirror sees a crumb in his mustache hair sticking up ketchup on his shirt, fly unzipped, something hanging out of his nose, and he says, looks good. Why does he say that about he? Because that's what he does. That's what he does. He casually glances at the mirror, makes no changes based on the information. The, The mirror just communicated with him. He doesn't refer to the women. You know why? Women don't do it that way. For a while, for about 20 years, I lived with three women. It was okay. One was my wife and two were my daughters. They do not go gazing at the mirror and not respond. You see, the mirror is a communication device. It communicates what stands in front of it. It tells you what's looking back at it. And so what a girl does, what a woman does, is they go look and they start fixing stuff. 
until the mirror communicates, you're ready. At my house, somebody that I still live with, she gets all ready every morning. She's looking good. Fixes her hair, makeup on, earrings, outfit that she's picked out early, shoes. She's ready to go to school to teach calculus. I say, hey, you look good. Matters zero what I think. Because she knows that my response to her, my communication back to her about what I'm seeing is subjective. It's subjective that what am I going to say, even if it looks awful. Am I going to say that looks awful? That's a bad day for everybody. I, I don't care if it don't match. I don't care if it's got stains. You're still looking good, baby. So she don't want to hear it. It's subjective. What she wants is an objective communication of what she is looking at. What she's looking like. So she looks in the mirror. She looks at it. She looks all around. Get the mirror, look at the back of the hair. She's looking at it. And if that mirror says, you're good, she goes. But about two-thirds of the time, the mirror doesn't say what she hoped it would say. So she goes back in there, and she adjusts something. She might adjust her shirt or the sweater, because that one was hanging too high, too low, too loose, too tight. To all the above. She may change her dress. She may change her shoes. She may change her earrings. She may change every part of her attire, responding, adjusting to what that mirror told her. And when she gets everything adjusted and that mirror says to her, not me, when that mirror says to her, that looks good, bam! She's ready. You know why James picked a mirror? Because the word of God is a mirror. When you stand before the word of God, it communicates back to you what it sees. You're not there to judge the word. That's why he says keep your mouth shut, keep your ears open, and don't get mad. You're not there to judge it. It's there to judge you. And when you read it or you hear it or you study it, and it tells you something about yourself, don't be like a dude that says, okay, cool, good stuff. Close the book and go. Do like the women do. Adjust something. And if you look at it again and it's still saying, you're still not ready to go into battle. You adjust something else. And if it means you change everything about yourself till you hear the Holy Spirit say, now you're ready. You keep adjusting. And that's what he's talking about. So many of us are content by just hearing the word of God, never applying it, leaving unchanged. And meanwhile, we are rendered fruitless and effectiveless in our battle against the enemy. Now, he's going to go on and he's going to finish up with this one thing. We got placement, we got preparation, we got practice. All of this is given by God to you with one goal in mind. You ready? Your pursuit of holiness. That's what God wants you to do, to live a holy life. The Bible says more than one place, be ye holy for I am holy. You know what that means? Be ye perfect for I am perfect. Does, he, does it mean he expects you to really be perfect? He, he expects you to try. He expects you to be in pursuit of holiness. So listen to what he says in verse 27. 
He says, the reason why you got to get this word in you and you got to listen well and not talk so much and don't get mad at it. And when you see, hear something from it, like the mirror reflecting back at you, do something with it. He says, 27, pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this. Take care for orphans and widows in their adversity and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Now, hold on. So James is saying at the end of the day, if I'll just send some money to the orphanages and cut a widow's yard, me and God, we got it going on. No, that's not an exhaustive list. That's an emphasis of the disparity of two groups of people. People who are in need, a widow and an orphan, and people who have been given everything because of the grace of Jesus Christ. And this group over here who have everything refuse to apply the word of God and serve other people in need because we're so worried about our own needs. You know we are. Look at the person next to you and say, you selfish. I can say that because we are. It's our, it's our human nature to, to be survivors, to look after numero uno. And James is saying, when the Word of God comes into your life and gives you new birth, the Word of God is to come and give you new life. And that new life is thinking more highly of other people than you do yourself. You want to know the mark of a true Christian character? It's somebody who cares more about other people than they do themselves. Philippians 2 verse 3 says, instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity, each one of you should, in humility, be moved to treat one another as more important than yourself. Each one of you should be concerned not only about your own interest, but about the interest of others as well. Now I'm going to move down to verse 12 of Philippians 2. So then, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, continue working out your salvation with awe and reverence. For the one bringing forth in you both the desire and the effort for the sake of his good pleasure is God. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may be blameless and pure Children of God without blemish, though you live in a crooked and perverse society in which you shine as lights in the world. So where does the rubber hit the road today? The church is growing. God is sending us people that are being saved and baptized. God is sending us a lot of visitors and guests. God is growing us through procreation God is growing his church and I want you to know I never want this church to be under challenged I never want this church to be under committed I never want this church to be overcommitted to the world I want this church to become a light on a hill and when a light is shining on a hill and it begins to grow there's a lot of needs in a growing church and I'm telling you team Jesus needs you to find your place and serve every single person. 
James is saying from God, there's enough bench warmers and spectators. It's time for you to step up and get in the game and serve. So in your worship guide, your life guide today, you'll find this card. And on the back of this card, I want you to fill it out. I want every single person in here to fill it out. You say, well, I'm not even a member yet. Oh, this will be a good place to get started. We'll have a membership class in a few weeks. If you don't make that, you can still serve. You don't have to be a member to serve. You say, well, I, 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 mm mm, mm mm. We're talking about dynamite power of the word. If it saved your soul, it can radically change your life. On this are needs. We, got, we need people to be on rotation in preschool and children. We need workers in our student ministry. We need greeters. We need uh, people in the Connection Center. If you don't find something in here that you'd like to serve in, you ready? Write it on there. We'll make you a place. We'll make you a place. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to pray. And then as we sing our final song, I want you to bring your cards forward. It allows us to get fresh information on you, your name, your phone number, your email. And also allows us to know if you're already serving, that you're committing to continue. That way we can count on you. And maybe you hadn't found your place. Just start somewhere. Just start somewhere. Get off the bench. Get in the game. Team Jesus needs your help. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this message from James. I thank you for his challenges, his imperatives that he gives us. God, I know that in this very room today, there are those that this letter was not written to because James is writing to brothers and sisters in Christ. And God, I'm convinced that today there are those who have never entered into a relationship with you, God, through Jesus, your son. And I pray that on this day, your Holy Spirit would, would just gently tug at their heart and let them know where they stand before you, God. But God, that you're willing not to leave them there, but that you want to have a relationship with them. God, I pray that they would be willing to receive that invitation and simply say, God, I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died in my place. I believe he rose from the dead. And I want Jesus to come in and radically change me. I want to experience a new birth, a spiritual birth. So God, I'll be right with you. You'll adopt me into your family. But God, I want you to engage me in your kingdom agenda. I want to serve and live for you. I don't want to just hear the good news. I want to apply the good news. So God, if there's someone here today, help them know how they can receive your gift. And God, for the rest of us, maybe we've been watching the game for way too long. Maybe we've analyzed what's going on in the game. Maybe we've got some solutions and some answers, but we've never entered the game. God, it's my prayer that today you would convict and compel and convince our hearts that you want us to serve. And the greatest place to practice our serving is right here in your local church. So we give you this time. We give you our service. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.